our topic, ministering in intercultural, uh, multi intercultural, multicultural spaces. Just to tell you a little bit about myself, I, I am a, I can be called an intercultural specialist and consultant. I've done some consulting and uh, training in, in. I should probably speak a little slower, in intercultural ministry and also for businesses, um, and. Uh, yeah, I've done that for quite a number of years, and I've done that uh, internationally uh, in quite a number of nations, but also with regards to missions. So I do it both in, for business, but main my main focus is, or heart in this whole thing, is how do we minister in these uh, kind of settings. I've uh, been doing it for for quite a while, a number, number of years, I think. I don't know. Um, officially, maybe 17 years, I guess, but uh, been really doing it for a long time. Now, one of the things um, I found myself in ministry in what we call cross-cultural situations, and then later found myself in multicultural situations. So I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about that. <clears throat> Uh, on the slide, it says cross-cultural ministry, intercultural ministry, multicultural ministry. What's the difference? So in terms of ministry, is a lot of ministry has to do with communication, whether it's verbal communication or things that we do, our actions and all that. So I'll just read this. It says multicultural communication refers to how a group or team is composed, in particular a group that's made up of people from different nationalities, in fact, Communication in multicultural settings has become very commonplace today. We have people here in the room who have who live in multicultural uh, work environments. Uh, right now, we are in a multicultural environment at the summer camp. Um, you know, people from uh, we probably have people from at least ten, if not twelve, different cultures, uh, and in reality. I would say this, that we probably have people uh, from, I would say probably anywhere from 50 to 100 different cultures that are here. Maybe 200 cultures, maybe 300. And you might ask, how could that be? There's only so many countries. Well, of course, there's many more cultures than there are countries. But also, IT is a culture. You know, people who work in IT, they, they have a certain business culture. Ministry is a culture. You know, pastors have a certain culture. Uh, leaders in a church have, uh, have a certain culture. And we are all, in ourselves, actually multicultural. But we're not always aware of uh, when we're shifting from one culture to another. Because we do a lot on what we call autopilot. So culture... When we're enculturated with a culture, we move in on autopilot. We do things like we don't even recognize that we do. Before, before you go out the door every morning, wherever you go, let's say you do that in the morning. I don't know. I don't go out the door in the morning. But if you go out the door, <laughs> I, I'm sleeping in the morning. I work at night sometimes. But anyway, before you eat breakfast in the morning. You've already done so many things on autopilot that, that your brain doesn't even tell you. And they're all 
cultured. They're all something that we learned from our upbringing. Cross-cultural communication refers to two or more different cultures. Uh, so cross-cultural communication is really about varying communication styles of different cultural, different cultural groups, where intercultural communication refers to exchanges taking place between <coughs> cultures. So in a nutshell, intercultural communication relates to interactions among people from different cultures, while cross-cultural communications involves comparing interactions among people from the same culture to those of another. So usually cross-culture is, is uh, one culture communicating with one other culture. That ends up being cross-cultural communication. The, the larger picture of, of it all is really uh, in the field of what we call intercultural communication, and that's really what we're talking about. Uh, but as the title suggests, what was that title again? <laughs> Ministering in intercultural and multicultural spaces. So we are in a multicultural space. We're often in a multicultural space. And really what we're talking about is intercultural com communication in a multicultural environment, if that makes sense. And please interrupt me, ask questions, and I will have questions for you as well because I, I need to, to know what you're dealing with. Um, before I get into that that yeah. one there. Could you make that, could you give examples for what you just said? Yeah. Intercultural communication within. So intercultural uh, communication, if I give an example of it. So intercultural communication oftentimes is, is multicultural, but multicultural is really more the environment. So in the environment of multiculture, you're having intercultural communication. In other words, multicultures communicate. So multicultural communication is a little bit of a, not really, uh, it's a little bit of a misnomer. It's not really, it's actually, because you can't, um, can you multicultural communicate? You, not, not, not really. It's really all, com the communication aspect is intercultural. Multicultural is the environment of, in other words, lots of people. You need to exemplify. Yeah. Like when when uh, people in 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 the mall meet or, 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 or at a cafe or something. Yeah. Because we don't get this. Yeah. I don't get that. We, we, I'm quite smart normally. You are. I, I might be a little bit tired. <laughs> <laughs> or old, like he says, I'm old. You must be really old. I'm one year older than you are. Yeah, that's right. right. So you're pretty old. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, we'll get into that. Like, like yeah. Ikea, as you said, or uh, Arabic, or, or whatever, Swedish. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting, because that we understand. Yeah. So, I, I we'll get into that. I think we're going to okay. fl flesh it out a little bit. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. Let me just back this thing up here for a minute. So one of the things when it comes to ministry, just going to say, is that if you go to seminary, for instance, and you learn about missiology and and what we call intercultural communication, the point that they will will base it on is what's called cultural anthropology. Now, cultural anthropology is studying one culture and trying to figure out what do they believe. 
and then taking what you believe and trying to get them to believe what you believe. It has to do with changing one what for another what. Um, and so in missiology, I, I've been a missionary for many years, you know, uh, um, some we could say on and off a little bit, but really since 1984, I've, I've been a full-time missionary with some small little changes uh, until somewhere along the line, I became a missionary. It didn't matter where I was, even in my own country, I'm just a missionary. And um, and what ha what happens is with, uh, you know, when you're in an environment, in a missions environment, you're trying to figure out how do I communicate to another people who think differently than me? I mean, what do I, how do I do that? But if you study missiology, they don't actually teach you how. They only teach you what, what you need to replace. You, we believe in God. We believe, you know, the kingdom of God. We have a certain set of beliefs that we want to bring into this culture. So we focus on, they believe that, we need to replace that. But the question that I always had is, but how do you do that? How? And, and I realized that seminary never answers that question. And none of the training and the, the courses that I've taken actually taught me that. And I was trying to dig into it and found a completely different base of learning culture. And that's based on what's called social anthropology. And social anthropology is how do people communicate? If we don't know how people communicate, how can we change the what? Because they'll never understand us. And it will always have a um, some kind of a, a clash. So before I get in here, I want to talk about prejudice and stereotype. Prejudice, a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. Anyone here prejudice? I am. We're all prejudiced <laughs> because we have our view of things. Stereotype. Do you ever stereotype people? Yeah. We'll, we do it whether we know it or not. And stereotype is say, oh, you're just using a stereotype. Now, we can use stereotypes in a very negative way. These people are like this in a bad way. But what we have to understand difference in some kind of way, and we often do that through stereotype. I'm American, so people have a lot of stereotypes about us. And I can show you pictures to prove my stereotypical <laughs> existence. I was in America a couple weeks ago, so um, I won't even go into <laughs> some of the things that, some of the typical American experiences that can yeah, so we do use them. So what is culture? So we're going to use an iceberg analogy. Like this analogy is used for thousands of different things, you know. So, but um, on the top of the iceberg, so if we look at an iceberg analogy, we're looking at things, how we see things. And we see this iceberg and say, wow, that's quite the iceberg, you know. And it really is about food, dress, it's, it's an outward thing. Food, dress, rituals, film, art, theater, music, dance. It's the it's things like if you were to open a newspaper to the culture side, you're going to see food or 
the theater. You're going to see different kinds of things, art things, and it's things that are expressive about culture. But it is such a small part of what culture is. Underneath the surface, you have attitudes, communication styles, assumptions, perceptions, how we view, uh, you know, the in, inside ways of looking at culture. And then we have underneath that in the real low, deep recesses of culture, we have our beliefs, our values, and our worldview. And um, I'm going to give just a simple... Yeah, that's 90% of, of it. It's really Culture is really something that we carry internally. It's not how you dress. It's not how, you, how we... Um, the music it's that's just those are just expressions of our belief our values our world our world view so if i look at the um if we look at culture as an appealing the onion you have here we have behavior and values so behavior is something that we observe it's something that's done you know i did this to someone or i did that with someone or i um it's you know just different things that we do, and um, that's informed by values. What you know, we I value this, so that's why I do such and such. So, what is done, what is good or best, is uh, in values, and that's informed by beliefs. What's true? What do we believe is true? Further on into the onion, we find what's real, and that has to do with our, our worldview. So we have this worldview, what we believe is real, and it all informs that. Now, the issue here, when it comes to intercultural communication, the biggest issue um, would be this, this right here, what is good or best. And the reason why is this. If something is good or best then what is that? You understand what I mean? What I do, the values that I hold as being good or best is best, then that's not best. So we come to another place and we show a better way. You know, As American, I can say that I don't know how many times I see Americans coming to another place and say, oh, well, in America we do it like this. Or Swedes, oh, in Sweden we do it like this. Or Norwegians, in Norway we do things like this. And the thing is, is that we have a better way of doing something than you do. Now, when we do that, we're, we're pushing people down. We're denigrating them. And then we come with this, we try to... Uh, we're, we're, some of what we're doing is when we're bringing people to Christ, ministering Christ in a non-Christian culture, we're trying to, to change their worldview and their belief. And we do that by denigrating them? No, it doesn't work that way. We can't do that. We have to value also what others value. So, I think one of the things that, for me, and I think this is something that 
can help. I make lots of mistakes. I'm, I, you know, I can say I'm an intercultural specialist. Why? Because I made a lot of mistakes, and I know, you know, I, I, I'm aware of, especially after the fact, you can see, okay, I messed up here, I did that, this and that. But one of the things that I think helped me was my very first um, real, what I'd call my first real missions, uh, missions experience uh, was a short-term mission experience, and it was um, two months in China, 1982. So it's a long time ago. Uh, it was uh, deep under the time when Westerners could not even could only go to China with a tour guide. And I went with this organization called Open Doors. I work. I ended up working for them later, but they. I went with this organization called Open Doors that put my passport and another guy's passport in a stack of passports of overseas Chinese people. And I got a, and the authorities didn't look. They just stamped passports with a visa. And I got a visa that allowed me to travel China all, you know, on my own. And that, and you couldn't do that in China. So it was like, it was unheard of. And, and my task by Open Doors was see how far you get without getting, before you get arrested. <laughs> so you have to understand, I was stupid. <laughs> oh, yeah, I still am in some ways. And I was, how old was I then? I don't know. 1982, how old were you? 26. 26. I turned 26 on that trip. So I was, who's around China, you know, waiting to get arrested and to see how far we can get to learn as much about being able to infiltrate China with the with Bibles and stuff like that, that kind of thing. And we lasted, you know, almost two months um, there. And, uh, and, um, Actually, closer to six weeks, I'll say. So six weeks there, and then um, then we came out unarrested, <laughs> but um, got close, I would say. Um, but my attitude was, when I went into China, was this, was that the Chinese people can trace their culture back 6,000 years. Between, we'll say, before even 4,000, 6,000 years. I'm American. <laughs> we can trace our history back nothing. <laughs> 200 some years, you know? So they've learned something along the way. Somehow they've learned to make sense of life. And that was my attitude. They've learned to make sense of life. I want to know what, how, how did they do that? And that attitude put me in the right position and it's kind of a, a position I try to have everywhere I go um, you know because most everywhere is most definitely older than America you know uh, at least our the, the founding of our nation you know 200 some years I mean we could say okay 500 years but but it's not long when you look at I mean you guys laugh at 500 years <laughs> most of you it's like 500 years that was nothing you know and America wasn't even around then. So we have uh, the way we view things in that way uh, really helps. So when we come into a situation, I know that in an inter in a in, in a in a situation where you're we're dealing with another culture, just to have the idea that 
the person in front of me or these people in front of me, whatever it is, or whoever it is, um, they've already have ways of doing things that make sense to them. They already have that. And we want to try to understand that and be able to meet, meet that in some, some kind of way. So sometimes the, the question comes, aren't we all this, the same deep inside? Now I'm going to show you a, a map. I use this every, almost every time I do intercultural communication because it shows, it's just a map that shows how different the world is. But it also gives us a, 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 an insight into things related to culture. Um, it's part of what's called the World Value Survey. It's been done for many, many years. Uh, and this is the night, this is actually the 2022 rendition. So this is from, was taken from 2017 surveys from 2017 to 2021 around the world. It's a, it's a very, very large research group. Um, and so here it is. It's called the Engelhart Wetzel World Cultural Map 2022. So, to point out a couple things about here, do you find your country here? Can you see your country there? You gotta find it? See, now, I didn't do this exercise with you. What I do sometimes, I tell people to take out a piece of paper and draw a circle and calling it the, the world, and, and ask them to put, where does your culture fit in perspective of balance in the world? And this is kind of a, it's, there's no sci real scientific value, it's really more a shock value that I do it. And almost everybody, when I do this, I've done this probably with, you know, hundreds of people, they'll all place their, their, culture somewhere in the middle because they think we think that our culture is pretty normal it sits in the middle of you know of, of when you think of the picture of the world we're you know kind of balanced so Sweden Denmark and Norway are what we call extreme cultures extreme cultures we knew it yeah. that's, that's yeah. right <laughs> And the Finns aren't far from it. Just going to say that again. Finns are just like. In fact, this whole thing here is kind of a, kind of extreme or whatever, and it, it it's just you, there's not a lot we can take from it. But basically, how this is done on a grid, um, we have survival versus self-expression value. So it has to do with with, um, you know, develop, really developed countries like these countries here, very, very developed, have already worked out a lot of their economics to where that survival isn't, you're not waking up going, how am I going to survive today? I mean, maybe we are, mentally or, or whatever, emotionally, in, in, in certain trauma times, but Generally, our populations are looking for how we can survive. Other countries have not done that, and they're more into survival mode. So it has to do with with certain. This is a. I think this test is this. The questionnaire is like two hundred some questions about everything. 
how we raise our kids, uh, what do we eat, how do we, you know, I mean, just all kinds of things. Um, and then you have traditional versus secular values. Traditional being that there's cultures that follow a tradition all the way, all the way around, all the way across, and they passed on very strong traditions and values uh, as opposed to secular values. And usually those values are steeped in some, some belief system, a religious belief system, so to speak. Now you can get this, just to say, you can get this from worldvaluesurvey.org if you want, or Europe, europeanvaluestudy.eu. Uh, you can get this map online, yeah. So, um, is it possible to get the postmark after? Uh, yeah. 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 Because this is this is very yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So now I see this map used all the time, and uh, and whenever it shows up in the Swedish newspaper, I know that Matthias over here is going to send it to me. <laughs> When it shows up in a newspaper, in a you know some of the common newspapers in Sweden, and most most of the time people use this that are not educated in intercultural communication. They don't really know how to use this this you know how to apply it in a lot of situations. But if you look at that map, is there any conclusion you can draw from that? Or any observations that you make on? How culture is formed. No, not necessarily. No, not necessarily. Yeah, not necessarily. Geographical determined, yeah. No, I don't think no. No, I don't think I I don't think so because the values in many of these places do not have the values uh, of of what you call Protestant Europe. What they call that, they don't have those values, so they don't. <laughs> Want to move there, but yeah, I I think you're right. I mean, it's kind of like how how do you make any map? There's always a perspective there. So this map could be the other way. You can make it. Uh, we can actually flip this away because this is a much this is also as much of an extreme as this is an extreme with with a little uh, a little bit of, a little bit exception. I mean, it's just as much of an extreme. So yeah, that's this value judgment is a negative scale, yeah. positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and this is not this should not. That's one of the things that. That we have to get away from is that this is not uh, a value judgment or saying that this is better, that's better, or any of that stuff, because that's the that is the problem, and that's actually what happens when 
people actually use this map in articles. They, they indicate that uh, we're this and that and they're that. It's another one of those things. But it's really helpful for a, a couple things. Any other observation? Geography? Developing countries tend to be towards the upper, upper right corner. Developed countries, yeah. yeah. They do tend to be that way. So we're very different. Yeah. But I also have a question. Yeah. This question as to the questions that's in the middle box. Okay. Go ahead. But what's that? If it's 200 questions, I'm assuming it's yeah. supposed to be the middle box. Um, it's really, uh, no, it really is a, uh, in terms of research, they they are asking a broad, really broad range, uh, uh, a broad range of society. So it's not aimed at middle class. They do this everywhere, and it's a, and in, so it's done in all these countries, and it's been done in all these countries for many, many years. Um, so there, in fact, there's also on World Values Survey, you can see a, uh, there's a YouTube video. You can watch how it moved. I I don't remember if it was from the 60s or 50s or 60s how that map has moved. So you can see how it's moved, and also. How, so I think one of the things related to this map is that has grown here more, so it's moved upward as, as nations develop. If I can nuance the question, yeah. maybe uh, have the surveying people given this orally to a person that cannot read and write? Yeah, 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 they do. They uh, definitely do. So geography... The other thing is you have, what we have is we have language. So English speaking, they'll put here, they put in a, in a group. They group this, they group. And then Latin America also indicates generally language. Then you have African Islamic, Orthodox Europe, Confucian, Catholic, Protestant. You have religion that has that influences it. Yeah. I'd be interested to see what would happen when it's scaled in terms of population size. Yeah, yeah. That would be interesting. So yeah. how, how that yellow blob in the middle can grow. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so cult culture, generally speaking, is, uh, is geography, history, language, religion. Those are the four main things that develop culture, that develop culture. So when we're speaking about ministering to a particular group, certain, one certain particular group, uh, it's really kind of important to, to at least be students of that culture to some degree and learn their history. Uh, if you can, learn their language, learn about their religion, their religious influences, learn about the geographical, the, you know, how the geographical um, environment creates certain values. I know there's, I mean, there's certain values here in the, the northern countries that are, don't exist in the southern countries. And, uh, you know, just because of the environment, the, you know, there's certain things that, the cultural things that you do 
out of uh, winter, snowy winters that people don't do in Italy or Africa. Unless there's not. It's interesting that math that you call it Protestant Europe from most secular. It is most secular, yeah, yeah. I don't think you call it secular Europe for some Yeah, I don't really know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think because I think that's a general, uh, what they use, they're they're probably using a a generalized view of what Europe was, at least, always identified more as. And I think if you were to if you were to go to the street and talk to someone and ask them how do they identify how would they identify they might say maybe they're atheists but how would they identify their their culture here they would say definitely be Protestant over you know Catholic or uh, or Muslim or anything like that or Buddhist. So I'm going to move on a little bit here. So. Uh, <clears throat> Okay, so there are certain aspects of how how culture is. So you you have human nature. There's certain you we could say, aren't we all the same? Yeah, there's certain things we're all the same. Uh, for instance, how many of here need to breathe to stay alive? <laughs> we all need to drink. You know, take liquid in. We, there's certain things we need uh, to 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 be alive, and uh, and all that. So we have there are certain things that is human nature, the, the human nature and desire to to survive, to live, to breathe, to to uh, to have certain to be able to have you know work towards and attain shelter, for instance. So there's certain things that are that are uh, common to, to all of us. Human nature, then there's cultures, uh, and that's something that's learned specific to a group or category, what makes some of us different from others. Uh, and that's kind of the focus of what we're talking here today. And then there's personality, individual, unique, uh, must always be considered. So one of the things we always say is, I'll, I'll, I told a couple people here, is actually, I I brought the wrong computer, so I, my slides for the seminar were not with me when I came here today. And I, I had to recreate a bunch from whatever I can pull together from an email I sent to someone, and it was a, you know, so, so I have some some things that that were on another slide that I have to come come by memory with, but, um, but one of the things that I, I always have a slide about this, and that is that culture, your national culture. First of all, let me ask you, where is everyone from? I know that mm-hmm. Anders is from Sweden and Ari is from Finland. Where are you guys from? Denmark. Norway. Denmark. Where? Denmark. Denmark. And Jordan. Where? Jordan. Georgia. Jordan. 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 I'm hard of hearing, by the way, so. What? No. Are you from? Denmark. Where? America. Okay. So, um, culture can always be contested. So, because when we try to understand culture, I try to say, uh, I'll, I'll pick a culture that's not here. So, 
I worked a lot in China, so I said Chinese cultures like this, there's certain aspects of Chinese culture. I will always be able to find some Chinese person said I'm not I'm Chinese and I'm not at all like that. So it's always contested. So we can always find some exclusions. It's just that so culture like this grid thing, you know, this map just a unit. Uh, we who are more intercultural specialists, we that map is fun, but I can tear it apart. Anything that's on a grid, I can tear apart culturally because cultural is fluid it's very different it's, it's something that that um, is always contested so some people say oh Americans all have guns whatever they all do this they all do that they can say I'm American I don't I'm not like that you know so you can always do that I do have guns <laughs> but they're in America <laughs> you just have any <laughs> All my guns were inherited. They're old, old, old. <laughs> and they're all rifles and they're pistols or, or not, not machine guns. <laughs> so, so Brian's not really American. He doesn't have any guns, right? He was in Norway. They took him away. <laughs> so we can, we always have, we always have that, uh, that going. Here's just a couple quotes <clears throat> from different people. Culture it's an integrated system of learned uh, of learned patterns of behavior, ideas, and products characteristic of a society. A relatively organized set of beliefs and expectations about how people should talk, think, and organize their lives. The collective programming of the mind which distinguishes the members of one human group from another. You can also say software of the mind. You can say the furniture in the house, how we how we organize the furniture. That's all kind of what culture is. Or we can call it the way that we do things around here, which is which is inherent in every single culture. This is how we do things here. So if you're an if you've ever immigrated to another country, I've lived in several different countries, uh, but I know. In Sweden, when I became a Swedish, you know, more or less a Swedish citizen, I had to learn how do you do things here, you know. And I know, for instance, our Ukrainian friends who are either in Germany, Norway, Sweden, they have to learn, or any of you that came from another culture, you had to learn how things are done here to be able to get things done. Yeah. I tell the story that I share. That's going to win. And 
You know, one of my, uh, I was telling some of my friends in Ukraine uh, an experience I had. The first time I met a Ukrainian, now I'm, I'm, in our church we have a good number of Ukrainians there and we want to help them and, and all that. So, but um, my first time I ever met a Ukrainian was in Siberia. It was in the Soviet time uh, and when I lived there and there was a, uh, a Ukrainian pastor and everyone, you know, I had always thought Ukraine, Ukrainians and Russians are the same. And now this is a this is a propaganda actually that Russia is promoting. They're promoting that that there is no Ukrainian culture. There's no Ukrainian Ukrainians uh, in the country. Actually, are Russians and very Russian. And and I met this Ukrainian guy after knowing, meeting all these Russians and engaging with Russians. And I was sitting here to meet this Ukrainian guy, and he was different. He was markedly different. He was light. Russian. I mean. No, no bad judgment on Russians. I have a lot of Russian friends, and I love them very dearly. But also, they have, there's a very heavy uh, heaviness about the in the culture, and uh, more or less that everything's against me, everything is against us, everyone, the world hates us, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot, and it pushes, it pushes down, uh, it creates a certain uh, cultural attribute that I didn't see in this guy. He's very light and airy, and very happy, and. Also, just you know, just very different. Okay, one a Ukrainian can't judge. Can't judge. I mean, you can't. Okay, I judge. <laughs> Sorry, my sin. Can't judge. <laughs> can't generalize. Thank you. Can't generalize Ukrainians from one Ukrainian. But then, over several years of working in Russia, meeting other Ukrainians who people who are from Ukraine but now living in Russia, I noticed the same thing. The second one went, wow, he's, old. he's like that other guy. And now you're starting to meet more of them like that, you know? And then the first time I went to Ukraine, I realized the whole country's like that. I mean, there's like, there is a much lighter feeling. There's, there's, their, their disposition was just very much, uh, much lighter, you know? And, um, you know, we really, I really noticed that quite a bit. So, um, and I started working in Ukraine a little bit more, but I really had, dove, had, I dove into Russian culture and I learned, tried to learn the language. I mean, they say that Russian is the language you speak in heaven because it takes an eternity to, to, to learn. But I think Finland beats them on that one. <laughs> well... Afghans have learned a language very well, easily than Americans. Americans yeah. are the har hardest. Yeah. yeah. We're dumb. <laughs> We're dense. Yeah. So, um, so I tried to learn, and I learned about the culture, but now we're working with a lot of Ukrainians, so, you know, I think part of the thing of working with any culture is that we can never stop learning. If we're working with another culture, we need to learn. If we're like in Sweden, I buy books all the time. I, I'm, I can speak Swedish. I can say I'm proficient in Swedish. I can, I hardly ever don't understand something in Swedish, and I still speak Swedish, with, both an accent and, grammatical errors. But I can say I, function in Sweden, without really any problem. I can watch TV and. And maybe two times a year, I ask my wife, "What is that word?" You know. So um, I'll have to tell you a story about that later. Uh, uh, 
so um where was I going with that sorry <laughs> yeah but I still I just recently bought another book about Sweden you know cultural I read I read it all the time because I want to really get into it I mean I've been working with uh you know in Sweden for more or less 20 20 years no 20 30 years 30 years 30 I guess so yeah gosh I'm old Thirty years, so I'm just reading all all kinds of stuff for you know about about Russia. What are we time we're we supposed to end this thing? Twelve. Quarter past. Quarter past. Yeah. So. What? Lunch starts at one twelve thirty. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, twelve thirty. Yeah, I think it was twelve thirty. So, um, but now with working with the Ukrainians, I'm starting to learn read. Ukrainian history. Why? Because we're working with Ukrainians. I need to learn. I want to know the history. What are the things that formed that culture for me to be able to 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 minister to them? So here's a couple of quotes from Anne Fadiman. I'll tell you about the book in a moment. It's cultural collision. Now this is not a quote. This is me trying to remember her quote because I didn't have my slides. Cultural cultural collisions are rarely frontal but they leave you with enough damage and trauma leaving you wondering if another collision is coming around the corner. Have you ever had a culture clash where you just don't quite, and be even traumatized by it or being like shocked that that happened? And then, you know, and they're just like, you're always wondering, is this going to turn into a culture, culture clash? If you can't see that your own culture has its own set of interests, emotions, and biases, how can you expect to deal successfully with someone else's culture? Our view of reality is only a view of you, not reality itself. That's a powerful quote, because it's we think we have a view of reality, but we only have a view, because reality is different in every culture. Now, this is written by Adam Fadiman. It's a fascinating book if, you, if you're interested in culture, this is not to learn about culture, it's to, to really find out how bad things can go not knowing about culture when you're in an intercultural situation. It's called The Spirit Catches You When You when you Fall Down. A Hmong child, a child from the Hmong people in uh, Cambodia, Laos area. Uh, her American doctors and the collision of two cultures. And what it is, so when I say that spirit catches you and fall down, oh, that sounds like an interesting book for us as Christians, right? That actually is the Hmong term for epilepsy. So it was an epileptic girl, and she was in America as a refugee child, and it's an absolutely catastrophic story, except that she's still alive. But she has no doctor. Doctors wrote her off 15 years, I think 15 years ago, because they, they have not been able to meet, they couldn't meet the culture. The culture of these, and somehow she's still alive and survived. And survive. It's a fascinating book. Uh, here's another quote: "Culture hides more than it reveals, and strangely enough, what it hides, it hides most effectively from its own participants." Years of study have convinced me that the real job is not to understand foreign culture, but to understand our own. The reality about multicultural and inter, any kind of intercultural communication is to kind of learn about your own culture. What are the elements of, of our own culture? And this is a, we can't do that in this seminar for you to just 
because there's too many cultures to do it. But but there are ways of ways of doing it. But it really comes down to awareness. It really comes down to becoming aware that what I do is culturally is a certain cultural thing. I'll tell a story, just a um, a kind of pseudo story in in Sweden that uh, that's an has been an issue sometimes for for uh, both immigrants that have come, for mainly immigrants that have come from um, uh, from the Syrian culture, from I mean from the Turkish Syrians, uh, yeah, culture, and then the other ones people have come from uh, Syria and also with Afghanistan. So Sweden is what we call a non-emotive culture. It doesn't. We don't emote. You don't. I'm American, so I'm you know, I'm emoting all the time, you know. But we there's there's the stone face and yeah. how are you? Okay. We don't we just keep everything quiet. And if I'm upset with Anders, I don't I don't blow up at him. We don't blow up. Well, maybe he does. You know. um, I don't blow up. I don't show show my emotion. In other cultures, they show their they show their emotion. And on one side, on the the Swedish side, we might say that person is emoting. That's immature. That's a different. That's they haven't learned to control themselves. And on the other side, they'll say about the Swedes that you're not being truthful because you're hiding your emotions. You know, so. Someone comes to a store, and there's a little bit of a conflict of something that happens with the with the Swedish person on one side of the counter and the other person from another culture on another side of the counter, and they get upset and they show that they're upset. Blah 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 blah. blah. And what happens is, and this is this has happened. This has happened many times. The Swedish person on this side actually called the police. Because they feel threatened, and that person is not threatening them, not from their culture. They have no intention of harming this person. They're just upset. They're showing this upset, and they're understanding it like this is a really bad situation. They call the police, and the police come and will always, because they're Swedish police, are going to side with the person here. And now this person is almost criminalized for showing emotion. You know, another example example how. Uh, of how culture can be weird is that um, I worked a lot in Russia, as you know, so a Russian business people, they come here to Sweden and they're going to have some negotiations and uh, they're meeting together and the boss might go around and serve coffee or tea because that's what they can do. And the, the, then he sits down and he's the boss. But for the Russians, you're not the boss, you just serve coffee and tea. Where's the boss? And there's a, and there's an instant, instant uh, lack of ability to actually negotiate with that person because in Russia we have people who are servants who do that stuff or people who who serve. The boss would never, never go around and serve everyone. So sometimes we have to look at our. Oops. 
doesn't let me look at slides. I don't want to. So let me ask you. Let's go go from here. Is that? Uh, is this helpful? Yeah. Just an understanding yes. in general. What cultures are you working with? I came here because I wanted to learn more, uh, basically because I'm working in prisons, trying to get prisoners motivated to stop their current life and start real life, as I call it. And uh, in the prisons in Sweden, there are lots of people that are Muslims. And we can easily reach out to people that are from Sweden or from surrounding countries, Catholic countries and so on, that has a belief system that fits into ours and uh, also are easier to convince to pray with. Um, but the Muslims are so hard to reach into. I can talk about Jesus. I know I should church or Christianity I should talk about Jesus I should talk about me being a Jesus follower not a Christian and so on and so forth but I, I want to get past that you know about this too because you're both of Afghans you have connections to uh, and some of them has now become Christians also some Afghans that I have but uh, in the prisons, it's such a hard time to understand how do they think. How, because they say, I'm a Muslim, and that, that's it. They don't listen anymore. They only talk about racism. So, but you guys, or at least you, probably understand more about that than I do. I think maybe it's really easy to talk about God in Germany and build the connection and yeah. get to know them. Yeah, that uh, works, because our... Same. Our value system is is, yeah. is uh, quite similar. Yeah. yeah. There are some similarities, and it can be built on that. And once you put them in action and deal with them, it would make it easier to, to talk to them also. Yeah. I just find that it would be easier to talk with Muslims than with secular things. We share the same values.
Yeah, I think that's kind of sort of the question of the day, I mean, in, in our day and age right now, is that, um, let's say, if we go back 20, 30 years ago, maybe 40 years, you know, uh, the the thing with with missions and cross-cultural engagement was to get people to become Christians. And I don't think that's the thing. We want people to be Jesus followers. We want, but then how we do that is like what you're saying, is that we show them the love, as you're saying, is that it's really a relationship. I think, and it, and it takes time. And traditionally in the, in the Muslim world, if I can put that in quotes, in the Muslim world in general, missions is very, very tough. And people say, oh, I worked in this place 20 years and had two converts, you know, and uh, uh, because they're dealing, a lot of times they're dealing with a what, what, you're a Muslim, I'm a Christian, I want to replace your what with my what, and, and instead of the, the, the how, and first of all, the what is a little bit wrong, because, because what we're really wanting to do is to bring the kingdom, display the kingdom, how we do that, by loving them, by, by saying, you matter to me. I want to hang out with you, and I think in the in the Muslim world, a lot of it is it's a society of um, well, there's no Muslim you know Muslim society, but Muslim societies in general are more uh, family. Certain, of course, are focused on faith, but also family oriented, and they could be clan oriented. Uh, they could be geographical. Uh, geographically oriented, that that we are a people together, as a, a, you know, almost against other people, not against, but as opposed to another group, and um, and how we break into that is really by relationships, and I think that's how we actually can meet everybody anyway. I mean, how do you meet a Swede and and, be, and get them to be a Jesus follower? We can't. You, that's impossible, you know, without the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God in us says to love someone else. And we show that love by being with them and showing them somehow that, that we love them. And that we, you know, you know, we, you know. The other thing is, you know, I mean, there are people who have really good successes with it. But, I, but also, I think that the Bible, Jesus, Jesus is a prophet, uh, is one of the prophets of, of uh, Islam. And then there's a, there's a number of, you know, scriptures. Quran, scriptural places where we can learn to help people discover Jesus. But I think it's really about relationship. I mean, if you go to prisons and you go there regularly and you see people, you're 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 already doing it because somewhere along the line, we say in America the coin drops and they get it. Yeah. Just a, a bit of a perspective on it. So, so I run a small group or a life group for people who come to faith later in life. So like new Christian, maybe you've been to Alpha, you have a course. But basically, for, we're talking about how do we um, uh, help them or convince them or talk into their, um, uh, their uh, to, to get them to understand Christianity. But a lot of the times when we get to a point where they are, okay, now I'm curious about it. It's about, in my opinion, creating the forum for them actually to understand the culture because they have a lot. We're trying to, to talk into their situation, but for them coming in, it's actually quite a big culture shock. They have to understand, like, they we're so different, they're so far away from being brought up in Christian or living in a Christian society like this one, and then coming outside. There's so much cultural stuff that you're missing 
references and small stuff like that that you have to help them understand to feel welcome here and to understand it. So, so what so what we sort of try to do in that group is to, to turn it around and say, we're creating a forum where like there's no everybody there has to be new in faith, so they can ask the questions. And we're not trying to tell or, or, or to show them. We're trying to create a forum where they explore it themselves. So like where there are questions and a lot of discussions in the groups very much about having that discussion. So it's just to say like we're trying to get them to understand, but coming in is really, really hard because of the cultural aspect. And you're just uh, yeah. trying to uh, explain to us here that there is like there is a really big gap for us. Yeah. yeah. Again, with the Muslim, like why it's really easy to start to ask. Yeah. yeah. And I think also you're Muslims, but but you also know that many of the people that come here is because the, the doesn't always like Islam. Yeah. I mean, they, they are all not always yeah, very positive mm -hmm. to to Islam. Yeah. But there are other cultural things. I mean, you have some boys that they have become Christians and only that somehow, but then they still have a very big gap. It's really hard. some time and we the people I meet in the prisons there are people that are built up in Sweden. They're Swedes, but they are still hanging on to their family's religion. So uh, it's a different thing for the guys that came from Afghanistan or from Syria and and they realize that our system at home is shit. And they come here and they they get confused and then take some time and then they understand no I'm not a Muslim I'm, I'm not a Muslim and then it takes some more time and some of them realize that no I want to become a Christian which is a good thing yeah. you know I'm just going to say real quick I think that um, there, you know in the Islamic world because I think a lot of uh, a lot of people who are in our cultures where we're working in our in our intercultural communication is right now is related to Islam and there's so many different Islamic cultures Islamic cultures there's so many of them and uh, you know it's like we move we when we moved to Sweden from the States three back to Sweden three years ago we decided that we picked an area where there was a lot of immigrants and there were a lot of Somalians so it's like I want to read about Somali cultures very very clan oriented and it's like we have to get into we have to get into the clan mentality to be able to even begin to actually engage them, you know, to, to 
almost need to equip yourself to even just have a, one conversation. But we found one way of reaching some of them is that we just went to, we went to a park every single week and played with kids. We did games for kids and other things. And kids would come, and what we found was the parents, especially the moms and some of the dads, watching the kids were way, way out here, and we were way over there playing with the kids. And, you know, they would stay there for a couple weeks, and next, you know, next week we see them just come this close. And we always had coffee and stuff like that. And then they would come a little bit closer, you know. Uh, a kid would get hurt, and we cared for their, that kid, and they would come, and and now there's a little bit of an engagement. Not that it's good the kids get hurt, but it, it happens when you're playing frisbee, especially if they get hit in the face or whatever. But or there's other games that we do, but um, and it ended up being now they're inviting us to. They're bringing the coffee and they're bringing their cakes because they want us to experience that. And there's this exchange, but it, how long it takes to get there is yeah. just, you know, is months, if not years, to get there. Yes. Did you, did you, did you raise your hand? No. You had your hand up. I was going to tell a story about how things can go in terms of ministry. Even just in the in our vineyard movement, we had uh, um, we were in, involved a bit, you know, in the Nordic countries, especially through Norway with uh, in Ethiopia, and uh, and um, there was some real misunderstandings with all these different, even just Western groups. So we have you know Americans and South South Africans and and uh, Germans and Norwegians and whatever, different countries, working in Ethiopia and uh, with the Ethiopians. And um, the Western countries were just, they have somewhat, there are all these countries up on this side of the, that map, you know. And uh, 
working in Ethiopia, which is somewhere completely different. And uh, they were, there was so much miscommunication. So Svanhild, who's a Norwegian pastor, she said, she asked me to go to go to a meeting where they're having all the African leaders, so, so all, from all over Africa, they're meeting in Ethiopia. And she said, can you come and see, because I think there's cultural problems with that. So I just went there as an observer. And at the me- in the meeting, it was told that if you haven't been to one of these meetings, zip it. Don't you have you just don't say anything. And I hadn't been to one of those meetings, so I just I just sat there and observed. And I sat there in these meetings for for a couple of days. And um, and what they were talking about, they were talking about we in the vineyard are family. We are a family. Uh, you know, and vineyards are family. Vineyards are family. And then when they got into things like um, they were talking about uh, how to build your church and that, that you need to be self-supportive and so, self, uh, you know, they have this principle, the three selves, you know, self, um, well, there's actually four of them, but, you know, self-supportive and I don't remember what they are, different, uh, right off the top of my head, but different things that we, we value in terms of missions that, that we want to create churches that are self-supported and all And I'm sitting in these meetings for couple days finally said can I ask a question um, and they said yeah I said so I picked up four African leaders from four different countries I said could you tell me what you hear when you hear the word family and they all went around they all went and said this is what I hear when I hear this is what I hear when I hear the word family and they told their perspective their cultural perspective of family you know, someone from Burundi, the next one from Ethiopia, the next one from Kenya, another one from from uh, uh, Malawi, tells their picture of family. And then I said, uh, can I ask one more question? And I said, and I picked out four other African leaders, and I said, can you tell me what your, what you, what your concept of self is? Self. And not one of them had their, the concept of self as me. Their concept of self was my clan, my family, my whatever, you know. My, it, it was group mentality. And it just went around the room. And literally, that whole meeting blew up. It just blew up. Uh, <laughs> and now Costa Mitchell, every time he sees me, he says, I'll never forget that seminar seminar you did on culture <laughs> in Ethiopia. I asked two questions. Two questions. I didn't do a seminar. But he's convinced I did a seminar. And him and Alexander were talking. I was actually behind them. They were walking. They were talking. I said, that was mind-blowing. I said, they had no idea. And these are guys that, you know, I respect them to no end. I mean, love these guys. But coming out from South African culture, which is not for white South African culture, uh, was very different from just the African, it's a European experience of self and, and all that. And and what, what they were doing is saying, what they realized in that was that if we're saying being self-supportive and self is family, we need to pony up. And they couldn't figure out why people were saying, asking them for, you know, for, for some support. Well, you're telling them <laughs> to do it, but they had no idea. And uh, 
and those how things that. So I think that you know if you're working with a with a specific culture, I really really encourage you to find books, and there are books. I don't know. I mean, I read them for Swedish culture. I read them both in Swedish and in and in English, and even other cultures, Chinese culture. I'll read it in Swedish and English. I don't read them in many other languages, but um, but there are there are really good books and. Uh, if you want any tips for any of the cultures you work with, send me an email. I'll write my email on here. If you want, uh, I'll try to do that here. I'll go back here. No, you don't need to see all this stuff. I should just end the slideshow and put it up there. So I'm going to, I think we need to end now because it's time up. And I, I'll hang around for any kind of questions you might have in the end. Put my email up here. It doesn't have to be capitalized. I'm not going to fix it. And I can give you, I can, uh, oh, got really small, so. Got bigger. Jim Dotmumper of Vineyard, that's S-E. Uh, send me, and I, I have a lot, of, lots of books on lots of different cultures. I can find some for you if it's a culture I don't know from respect to things, but I would really encourage you to read about the cultures because uh, but the other thing is, find books about your own culture. Read about your own culture, because that's probably going to give you better help, much better help, because you start to read, uh, you start to learn about the things that how others or anthropologists have dissected your culture. Incredibly helpful. Incredibly helpful. If you want to know, I know about Sweden, I can tell you there's a couple books by, uh, there's one book called Enstuga uh, Pokretivoningen. It's, ha- it's hard to get, but you can get it. Um, and uh, Which is, even the title says a heck of a lot. It says a heck of a lot. Um, and it's by, I don't think, oh gosh, he wrote, uh, Olke Down. He's a professor, was a professor in uh, Uppsala. Uh, he's the most renowned anthropologist in Sweden. Um, also, Svensk Mentalitet is another one of his books. But in Sweden, I'm really good because it actually brings in other cultures so you can learn a little bit about fin- how Sweden is against with Finland and Japan and different things like that. It's kind of interesting. Then there's a, also a book called Svenskan Manifa. It's a Swedish human. <laughs> That's written by a Swedish guy also. Uh, very, very helpful. Very, very helpful. I haven't, sorry, I have not read Danish culture or Norwegian culture. I assume you're all the same. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know the difference. I, I mean, I see really a lot of difference, actually. So I observe a lot um, of differences and, and all that. But there's a lot to, there's a lot about it because we didn't even get into, you know, just how we speak, being direct, being indirect. Some languages, you know, 
for instance, in, in the Nordic countries, we are very direct in terms of we say what we mean, mean what we say. Other cultures don't say what they mean or mean what they say. Meaning is found inside the, the context. Completely different. They, so it's like talking around something. You know, some, some cultures will, will talk around an issue and everyone in that culture will know what they're talking about and we'll be like, they're talking about driving around in a circle or something. I mean, it's, it's like we don't get it. You know, so there's, there's all kinds of different things like that. And um, uh, if you're working with Somalis, in, I know in Sweden there's a really good book and it's called Mela, I, I think, Melan Plan och Stat. It's written by a non-anthropologist. It's just a guy who worked a lot and really has helped a lot with Somalia and his, his, his observations and they're not, they, you know, I don't really normally recommend non-scientific, you know, uh, really grounded in truth, but his it's really good. He really did a good job of, of uh, disseminating melancholy and stuff. A very easy read. What was the name? Uh, of the author. Uh, of the book. Uh, of the book is called och Stad. Eller Stad och Plan. Really, really good. If you work with Ethiopians, not Ethiopian, uh, Somalis. Yeah. So for reading something in English about a culture, like a helpful title could be mentality or anthropology or... Yeah. You know, I can send you... If you send me an email, yeah. I'll send you a list of, of, of books because there are general principles of... I mean, if I... To be honest with you, I can do a week of all this <laughs> stuff. And so I do training. I'll do three-day training or five-day trainings in companies. But a lot of people think... When it comes to culture, they just need an hour or two hours, and you know that that doesn't doesn't do it. You know, if we if this was a different group, I would do it a uh, different kind of group. I would do a different different kind of more interact really interactive. Uh, you know, I do interactive trainings where we create a we create cultures, and uh, we literally create. Cultures in a in a group exercise. I did that once. I, I did that once in a camp. Yeah, we, we playing cards. cards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. really good. It was very good. Yeah. In that one, you I create uh, every. There's a table of four people. We create a culture on each table, and then everyone then I can create a culture in seven minutes. I can create a real culture, and then you will defend that culture. And get angry. I mean, bring out all kinds of much. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> so, seven-minute culture, and you've had a how many-year culture? Lived in a culture, so we defend our cultures and our. Yeah, it's really good for integration. That's a good one for integration because you realize that people have different. They integrate with us from a completely different perspective than we do. Uh, you know. And the other thing, I mean, in the Ukraine situation, just want to say real quick with the Ukraine situation, that's very different in integration, in, in the whole intercultural thing, is that most immigration situations in Sweden, people emigrate to Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Finland, they come into our, our culture, uh, 
as a as a refugee or asylum, and that's going to be where they're going to stay. There isn't one Ukrainian that doesn't want to go back to Ukraine. They all want to go back. They're not. So so we can't assume that oh you're here in Sweden you you want to be here because because your place is garbage and all that kind of stuff you know they, they every one of the Ukrainians I've talked to none of them want to be here they're grateful to be here but none of them want to be here not one they all want to be I know some back in Ukraine oh you do okay <laughs> I mean there's going to be some refugees <laughs> what's that. And they are refugees. Okay. It's just started a cafe. Yeah. Okay. To live on there. Yeah. Some. I mean, if they can get established and get a job and all that stuff, but it's really it is hard for them to start businesses and get jobs. So, yeah. I hope it's been helpful yes, somewhat. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.